We're going to continue tonight by looking at the book of Haggai, going to finish finish our series. As we look at Haggai, we'll be looking at Haggai chapter 2, but just to recap, because it's been... Chris, you know, Chris spoke last week, and so we kind of had a break in between. Uh, but you remember, though, last week or last time we had, uh, we were looking at Haggai chapter one, and we saw in Haggai chapter one where uh, God's people, the the uh, Israel there, had delayed to rebuild the temple. If you look at uh, verses one through three, you find there uh, that the Lord was calling upon uh, these individuals, and in verse two, the Lord spoke. To them, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Uh, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it not time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? And so he then began to tell them to consider their ways. They had uh, built their homes, yet the temple had not been rebuilt. And as a result, as we saw there in chapter one, the Lord was displeased with them. Uh, until we find later in chapter one, the people did begin to uh, rebuild the temple. And we pick up in chapter two. Uh, we're not going to go through it like we did quite like, quite like we did last time. We're actually going to pick up uh, in verse 10, uh, looking at verses, focusing on verses 10 through 19, uh, looking at the questions that God asked the people. And they're, they're really kind of rhetorical questions. Uh, but uh, he's going to ask them some questions. We'll find the answers. And then God. Uh, then began to explain and apply those things uh, to them. And so this evening I want to show what lessons we can learn from the questions that God asked during the, t- during the days of Haggai. And one question to think about as we begin looking at this, do we ever find evidence of God blessing the wicked? Do you ever see anywhere in the Bible where God blesses the wicked? Now we understand the Bible does tell us that God causes the rain to fall on just and the unjust, but we may not consider rain quite the blessing that we were talking about here, because when we're talking about blessing, we mean something that comes from God, something that uh, if it wasn't for God's help, it would not be possible. And so uh, does God ever bless the wicked? And we're going to find the answer to that as we go through uh, these few verses here, beginning in Haggai chapter 2, uh, looking here at verse 10 and following. We first begin by looking at God's questions in verses 10 through 13. We find here in looking at verse 10, uh, the Bible says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Now this is about, in comparison to chapter 1, this is about two months after the last uh, time the Lord had spoke through the prophets. And so he's speaking again now two months following, uh, following that. In verse 11 through 13, we find the questions. We find the Lord is going to begin to ask them. Uh, Beginning in verse 11, thus the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, if one carries holy meat into the in, in the fold of his garment with the, with the edge, uh, he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. Now he's asking them concerning the law. Now, Think about this for a second. If he's asking them something concerning the law, and they answer and answer correctly, doesn't that imply they have knowledge of what God expects of them? If they know the law, then they should know what God requires of them. 
Now, keep on reading here. Uh, they reply, the answer, no. So if one, uh, they bring in bread and it touches, uh, the edge of it touches bread, or, or they bring in holy meat, rather, and it touches uh, bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? The priest answered, no. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Now, again, that reveals they understood the law, at least to some degree. Now, much like today, we have those who read the Bible. They can read it and many times understand at least part of it. But it is the applying it and following it where people sometimes have a trouble. And we find that idea here because he asked these questions and they give correct answers there in verse uh, 12 and again in verse 13 about something becoming un unclean or, or becoming clean or becoming unclean. And so they answer correctly according to the law. Now we may ask, now what does all this mean? Why is he asking these questions concerning the law? Well, in verse 14, we have the explanation. Why is he asking them about something becoming clean or becoming unclean? In verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. Now, you notice there, he makes it very clear that it is the Lord who's saying this. It's not merely Haggai who is speaking, but the Lord, being, being a, Haggai being a prophet, the Lord is speaking, and Haggai was, was repeating what the Lord had to say. Thus says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what, they, and what they offer there is, and what they offer there is unclean. What is he saying? These people are unclean. The nation, he says, before me. And so is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. God says all their works were unclean and no, no doubt, therefore not pleasing the sight of God. Their works are unclean because the people were unclean. Now, why were the people unclean? We go back to chapter 1, it's because they had disobeyed God. They had not done what they should have done in the first place. And so we find here they are unclean. Now we continue reading here, as we're going to jump ahead a little bit here to verse, uh, looking at some other verses here, verses 15 through 17. We find God's response to the people's actions, uh, past and present, because he talks about what he has done to them and why he has done those things to him. And then he says what he's going to do from that day forward. And so what we're going to see is he says, I've done this to you because this is what you have done. I responded in this way. You have repented. And from this point moving forward, this is what's going to happen. And so we look here, we find that God will not bless the wicked. Uh, the people during Haggai's time procrastinated. They delayed and sinned. Uh, they turned away from God and were punished for doing so. We look at Haggai 2, beginning in verse, 7, uh, verse 15. And now carefully consider from this day forward. That means he wants them to realize that from right now, from then for that moment, moving forward, what needs to take place. From before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, meaning before, what, remember what happened before you began to rebuild the temple. Remember what happened before you changed your ways. Since those days when one came to heap a heap to a heap of twenty ephahs, there was there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty bass from the press, there were but twenty. And I struck you with, with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. So he's reminding them why they're in the position they're in. Because he says he reminds them to go back to verse 16 there. 
Since those days, when one, uh, verse 15 rather, before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, before it began to rebuild, how I punished you. They would go out, he says there, and they'd look for the, and inspecting to find the 20 ephahs. And what would happen, he says, there, but there were 10, not 20. One came to the wine vat to draw out 50 uh, bass from the press. There were but 20. And what was happening, God was suppressing their blessings. They were not being prosperous. They weren't blessed. He was suppressing their ability to prosper and to survive because of what they had done previously. That's why it says in verse 15, carefully consider from this day forward that from moving forward, you don't want to do what you have done in the past. Remember what happened when you disobeyed there in verse 15 and verse 16. He says in verse 17, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands. That means every time you labored your hands, I hindered you because you delayed to rebuild the temple. And as they move forward, they are to remember that. Kind of what we talked about this morning, how we learned from our failures. They were to learn from their mistakes, weren't they? He calls to mind what happened prior to rebuilding the temple. And he says, don't you forget this. Don't forget your mistakes. Don't forget why these things came upon you there in verse uh, 16 and 17. How you struck them with blight or hardship and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands. He says, notice what else he says, yet you did not turn to me. Remember how I punished you and I punished you and I hindered you because you were not doing what you should be doing. And he says, remember how you also remember also how you did not turn to me. And so they were to learn from their mistakes. God said they were unclean until they repented, as we saw back in verse 14 as well, right? And so prior to their repentance, prior to their change, prior to rebuilding the temple, they were unclean. They were not pleasing in the sight of God. So God reminds them here again that they were not going to be blessed because if they were going to, if they're not going to be blessed while they're disobeying God. And so he brings this up before we get to verses 18 and 19. He reminds them, don't forget what happened when he disobeyed. Growing up, you know, I have two older brothers, and I heard it sometimes aimed at them, sometimes aimed at me. But I remember hearing my parents say, remember what happened last time you did this? Means you got in trouble last time. Think about what you're doing. Don't do it, right? And we find here in verse 15 through 17 that exact same idea. Remember what happened before you rebuilt the temple? How you disobeyed me? How I punished you? Remember, he says there in verse 15, carefully consider from this day forward, don't do what you've done in the past. No doubt something we can learn from still today, uh, to learn from our past. Looking next, we find a reminder that God blesses the faithful only. He blesses the faithful only. God would bless them from that day forward so long as they were faithful. Looking, uh, if you look there at Haggai 2, verse 18 and 19, not only part of verse 19 is on there, but you look at verses 18 and 19, he says, Consider now, or verse 18, consider now from this day forward, from the 24th month, or from the 24th day of the ninth month, from, that, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the, is the seed still in the barn as yet? The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but from this day I will bless you, verse 19. And so he again reminds them of saying, remember how you go searching for these things and they weren't there? 
But from this day forward, from the time you change, he says there in verse 19, he says, from this day I will bless you. We think about that for us today. We should not be shocked when we are disobeying God and we find ourselves seemingly not being blessed by God. And much like Job, I don't, I don't believe every time we, we make mistakes, God is going to pour down wrath upon us or punish us like they did Job, because that's what his friends try to tell him, that you're in this situation because you disobey God. Your health is bad because you disobey God. That wasn't always the case. People sinning against God all the time repented without having boils from head to toe, didn't they? And so Job really does not uh, agree with that, with his friends' ideas. And so... We today don't realize that God may not, he may not bless us. He will not bless us when we're disobeying him, but it doesn't mean we're going to crap, show up with boils and, and from head to toe. You know, the psalmist also talks about those who, who, who feel like God isn't listening, God isn't paying attention so they can do whatever they want. Now, not rest assured, if God responded with sin, to sin every time with boils from head to toe, it wouldn't take long for people to learn their lesson. But... God, because he is, a, he is long-suffering, he is merciful, that is what happens. And even with the people here during Haggai's time, what happens? He gives them a chance to repent, to rebuild the temple, and then he warns them, now if you will remember what has happened before, how I punished you, then from this day, he says, I will bless you. You know, I think if we're honest sometimes, especially when we become a Christian, there is a time in our life where we have a turning point. We turn from doing things, maybe unnecessarily, maybe prior to being Christian, we weren't maybe the worst person on the planet. But when we become a Christian, we definitely become a better one, don't we? And so we have that turning point where things in the past are no longer part of who we are. And so we, we become a Christian, we obey the gospel. And as Haggai points out here, again, speaking by the Lord, he says from this day that God would bless them. When we become a Christian, we can say the same thing, that from that day, so long as we are faithful, God will bless us. Now, we don't misunderstand blessings in the sense that we think we're going to have the best of everything. Matthew 6 talks about that and how we were provided for. But God will definitely bless those who are faithful. And I'm getting way ahead of myself and getting to my next point, so let's go ahead and move along, looking at some lessons we can learn from this uh, today. And one of those things we can learn is that unfaithfulness is not rewarded. You know, there's no such thing as a faithful absentee member. You think you know what that means? Person who's not here, but oh, they're faithful. How does that work? Absentee means you're not present. Faithful means, well, being part of being a part of being faithful is being present. That's not everything, right? But part of being faithful is being present. But a faithful absentee, absentee member does not exist. So unfaithfulness is not rewarded by God. We're, we should not expect to have heaven as our home if we can't be faithful to God here. You look at Psalm chapter Psalm 7, rather, uh, looking at verses 11 and 12. Here he says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword, he bends his bow, and makes it ready. You know what it reminds me of when I was younger? I have two older brothers who, I think it's safe to say, they got in a lot more trouble than I did. I learned from their mistakes. You know, we don't hear our, our parents bend the bow, but we do hear the belt clearing belt loops, don't we? 
We hear your, we were hearing my father's distinct steps coming down the hall, and I knew what that meant. He walked completely differently when it was time for punishment. And we find here in verse 12, God does what when people turn away from him? He will sharpen his, his sword, he bends his bow, and he makes it ready, which means he's going to come after you. We don't mean today in the sense that he's going to strike us down, but we can count on the fact that blessings will disappear. He says in verse 11, God is a just judge, which means he is not, he's not unbalanced. He's not unfair. He treats everyone the same. Those who are in a position of power, those who are, they all get the same treatment. Don't we wish our system today in the world was like that? Nobody cared what you look like, what you were, what your business was. If you did something that was against the law, everybody got treated exactly the same. But God, he says, is a just judge. And then he says, and God is angry with the wicked every day, which tells us there's never a time that God just dismisses sin. There's never a time where he's just, I'll overlook it. He says he's angry, angry with the wicked every day. And if he does not turn back, that's the person who's doing wickedness. Well, we see what happens next, right? God's going to punish them. So God's not pleased with wickedness. Man may attempt to justify his actions, but God either sees obedience or disobedience. Again, there's no such thing as, an absent, as a faithful absentee member. There's no such thing as a faithful, disobedient servant of God. One is one, when God responds with obedience, by seeing obedience or disobedience, he either gives rewards, which are blessings, or one is punished. And if we don't see punishment in some form today, we all know the judgment day is coming. And so I think sometimes we don't think about that because the Christian who, or the person who begins to disobey God and kind of walks away from God, they kind of get the idea, well, judgment day is so far off. We have no idea when judgment day is going to come. The Bible tells us that. Christ says, uh, no one knows, not even, uh, the angels of, of heaven, but my father only which means only the Father knows. Uh, and so, which tells us, we better make sure we're doing our very best to be pleasing inside of God. <clears throat> Blessings begin on day one of obedience. And what we mean by that is when a person obeys the gospel and is baptized, being part of the gospel, blessings begin, right? I mean, how could you say they don't? Because when you're baptized, having obeyed the gospel, being baptized for remission of your sins, that's a blessing right there, isn't it? And so they literally begin the moment you obey. Your sins are washed away, there's a blessing. You're added to the body of Christ, there's a blessing. You have fellowship with, now with faithful Christians, there's another blessing. And the list goes on and on. So they literally begin on day one. You know, politicians like to say, you know, day one, we're going to do this. God actually does that. Um, he actually means the moment, not the day of, but the moment you obey, the blessings begin. And we find that back as well, back in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 19. The faithful person is blessed by God, and this is seen throughout the Bible. Look at Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. And he goes on to talk about how the unfaithful, what's going to happen to them, the wicked person. But a faithful man, he says, will abound with blessings. God knows how to provide for us. You know, I think about many times when Israel was coming out of Egypt and how God literally fed them with manna from heaven. 
And to me, one of the most depressing things is to watch them complain about what God was giving them. Food, day after day, miraculously provided for them, and they complained, I believe it was in the book of Numbers, they wanted meat. And what would happen? Well, God gave them meat, but then he also punished them because they were unthankful for it. Uh, and so mankind, we, we see God's blessings sometimes, and then sometimes I think we totally miss it. We look around us today, and we see people who are hurting. We consider our own lives. We think we should feel very blessed. If you don't think we're blessed, just look around. You know, one of the things, and, you know, mission, people go on mission trips, we'll talk about this sometimes, but, you know, having gone to uh, Marshall Islands and to Mexico and things and coming back, we have it easy. We have it very, very easy. And I know Chuck and Jody have been different places as well and seen the same exact thing. We are definitely a blessed people, not just because we live here, but because God blesses us as Christians God promises the faithful that the, that the faithful will have their needs in this life met by him. You go to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 31 and following. It says, therefore do not worry, this is Christ speaking, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And what do people worry about the most today? Those things. Now we like to add in some other things too, right? Technology, keeping up with everybody else. But Christ here boils it down with eating Drinking and what you're going to wear. Food and clothing, basically, right? He says, for after all these things, the Gentiles see. Now, that is used, at least in my mind, for those who are worldly and ungodly people. He says, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, you notice there in verse 32, he says, your Father knows, which means he's perfectly aware of what we need to survive and to live in this life. But he also knows there in verse 32, he says, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And so what Christ mentions here in verse 31 are the needs, not the wants of mankind. He doesn't talk about the very best of everything. And don't get me wrong, if you have a nice car, a nice home, great. But if we don't, we shouldn't feel bad that we don't. You look at verse 31 and 32 again, it is the basics, eating, drinking, clothing. And then in verse 32, he mentions as well, the Father knows that we need these things. But then he brings it home in verse 33 by saying this, but first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now he's going to show a condition here that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that is we put God first, we obey his commands, we continue to do so, and we try to, for our best our ability, try to help others come to Christ. What happens, he says, all these things shall be added to you. These things are those things that are needed back in verse 32. So we can't logically go and look at this and saying God's going to give us what we want. No, God's going to give us what we need. And if we're honest, mankind is really good with confusing wants and needs, right? Because more technology advances, and I have technology in our home. We use a lot of it here. But there are limitations that we put on ourselves, right? Or I hope there are some. Because I think we, sometimes we see those who, if they look at something that comes out brand new, and that want becomes a need. Do we need a new phone at sometimes? Yeah, we do. They break and don't last forever. But also we have to realize what? We don't always realize what is a want and what is a need, do we? 
We don't always need the best of everything, but sometimes we are in need of something to replace something that's broken. And so he's mentioned here in verse 31 and 33, the needs of mankind will be met so long, uh, the needs of the faithful will be met so long as we put him first. All these things shall be added to you. And he goes back to verse 31, think about this for a second. He says, therefore, do not worry. If we put God first, we will be taken care of. We will have those things we need in this life. Therefore, verse 31, it says, do not worry. Because we know in context, this is a lot about don't worry about this, this, and this. Because people worry about these things. He says, don't do that. Put God first, and your needs are going to be taken care of. Now, if you think about these things this evening, we know that God gives us so many reasons to be loyal to him. Now, you think about this for a moment. If you were to flip that over and say, and ask this question, does the world give us reasons to be loyal to them or to it? When we say the world, we mean those who are not Christians, those who are living, actively living a sinful lifestyle, encouraging others to do the same. Uh, do they give us reasons to be loyal to them? Now, I'm sure in their mind, they think, well, yeah, because you can do whatever you want. And let's be honest, people who are given the opportunity to do whatever they want, meaning to sin or not to sin, and, and have no perceivable condemnation for it, how often does that really work out? Uh, you know, I always go back to those who are in the spotlight so often because, the reason I do that is because the world holds up certain individuals as this is how you should be living your life. And Hollywood is a good example of that, right? And when we see them, we hear them everywhere. You go into the grocery store, they're on the newsstands, right? They're all over the, the magazine. So-and-so's divorced or how many millions, who cares, right? But it's all over everywhere. They're divorced for the fifth time. Shocker. That's how the world is, right? The world has no reason to, has nothing that should draw us in to want to be loyal to it. To want to fall after their sinful ways. God, however, has so many reasons for us to be loyal to him. Those in Haggai's time, what was God going to do? How is he going to bless them if they continue to be, be into God, following, rebuilding the temple? They wouldn't have to worry about anything. Their needs also would be met. You think about Israel again coming out of Egypt, God feeding them the whole time. If they had not complained, and that's, that's a big if, if they had, because we know they did, if they had not complained, if they had obeyed God the whole time, repented when they make mistakes, and followed God, followed God obediently the whole time, you know what happened? They would have been fed the whole entire way and defeated everybody without losing the entire battle because God was with them every, every step of the way. But they didn't. Things were taken away at times. They lost battles at times because they disobeyed God, and bad things happened, right? Israel shows us numerous times how bad things happen when you disobey God. You go back and look at the book of Joshua and how the people uh, took of the accursed things, right? Achan, he disobeyed God. He hid those things in his tent. They went out to fight. What happened? They ended up running away because they were defeated, because God wasn't with them, because they disobeyed. But when they corrected that, removed those things from the camp, went into battle, what happened? They had a supreme victory repeatedly and so long as they remain faithful to God. And so when you think about reasons to remain loyal to God, there are a host of reasons that would fill screen after screen this evening. 
The world only offers temporary joy, and this joy often comes with a very high price. Someone once said that sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. And that's not original with me, but it will. It will take you beyond what you ever thought you'd find yourself doing and end up doing it for a lot longer than what you thought you'd be doing. Which means the hurt is going to go that much deeper into us. And so the world offers only temporary joy, and this joy often comes at a very high price. But we think about that and we compare that to what God offers. God offers blessings now and for all eternity. Because you remember what God told the people through Haggai? From this day forward. From the time you obey, continue to obey from this day forward. And the same is applied uh, still for us today. So long as we obey God, those blessings will, will remain. And you think about for a moment... The person who, you could talk about the atheist, you could talk about the person who just simply believes that God is there but doesn't actually obey his word. When their life comes to an end, what do they have to look forward to? Nothing, right? They have nothing to look forward to. Now, we understand the Bible says there's something that's going to be awaiting them, but nothing they're going to be looking forward to by any chance, right? But the faithful Christian, the person who had sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, who has kept God at the forefront of their lives, repented when they have failed, what do they have waiting for them when their life ends? The Bible tells us, if we're honest, that that's just the beginning of the full reward that we talked about this morning in 2 John, right? Because the faithful Christian... If we die before Christ returns, we know we go to paradise because we all go to heaven together and all those who go to hell go together as well, right? But the, the faithful Christian, we pass away before Christ returns, we go to paradise so that when judgment day comes, we can all go to heaven together. And thus, what does a Christian have waiting for them? Heaven. Heaven is what is waiting for us in the future. We say sometimes... You know, we look ahead with the eyes of faith. What I mean by that is we, we know the Bible teaches us. We look forward to what we know is waiting for us. The people in Haggai's time, if they would remain faithful to God, what was waiting for them? Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And so when we think about lessons we can learn from Haggai and those during his, during his time, there's one thing that sticks out very clearly that does not pay to be unfaithful to God. There's no repayment that we want any part of when it comes to being unfaithful to God. But the blessings are beyond number. You remember how when God, you know, I believe it's uh, Abraham or Abram at that time, you thought about how you bless him and his descendants would be like the, the, the stars in the sky, which was a way of saying he's going to bless him beyond measure, right? And his descendants as well. For the Christian, it's that way as well. We think about having blessings that God give us, the list goes on and on. And so the question isn't uh, so much of what do we need to do, because the Bible tells us what we need to do to be faithful to God. I think many times, if we're honest, the question is, do we want to be faithful to God? Do we want to have heaven as our home? Do we want to be prepared for the judgment day, because it is coming? 
And the Bible tells us the way to be prepared is to be obedient and to continue to do so, to continue to be obedient.